All right, guys, uh, with me on the show today, I've got my dad, Norm Matthews, and we're going to be sharing stories about hunting, fishing, the outdoors, and all that good stuff. And so he's one of the main people who got me into hunting. We've hunted and fished all over the place together, and I look forward to many more trips with him. But he's going to share a little bit with you about how he got into hunting, kind of what that looked like back in the day, and then what it looks like for us now. But we spent a lot of time sitting on um, a dead tree together out in the woods or on a boat up on the lakes in northern Wisconsin. And there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of good stories to come. So I hope you all enjoy this. Stay tuned, and here he is. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. Alright guys, welcome to the show, and today with me is my dad, Norm Matthews, and we're going to be just talking about his hunting story, um, some stories from when I was growing up, how I got into hunting. Uh, I used to sit with him quite a bit, and so... Um, welcome to the show, Dad. Oh, you're welcome, Dan. Uh, good to be here. We uh, Let's get started off by just talking about kind of your hunting history and how you started out hunting. Were you, I mean, ever since I've been around, you've been hunting. You and Mom and the whole family, really. You got all three girls, both boys into it, and at this point, it's a couple of us are still into it. Yes, uh, I guess thinking back to my beginning of hunting probably would have been, uh, we we lived not in a big city, but a, a little bit larger of a city growing up as a kid, and then I would go spend summers and a couple, two, three times a year up with my grandfather, my mom's dad, and he had 40 acres, and I guess that's when, where I started hunting, is he would take us hunting. And uh, it was quite a bit different back then. Now it's like it seems like you can buy as many doe tags as you want back then they had what they called a camp deer so for every four every four licenses you had you got one doe permit oh wow and that's all you could shoot for does was that one what they called a camp tag or a camp deer and so i guess that's where mine began was more with uh hunting with my grandfather okay so was it primarily whitetail hunting is that what you got your start with it was whitetail hunting, and then also we, you know, with the 40 he had there, we, you know, would go rabbit and pheasant hunting, and, you know, basically all the, di you know, all the different types of small game and that, so it seems like that was a big part of going up there was the hunting. Yeah. And at, at that time, my dad didn't really hunt much. He hunted a lot as a kid while well, they lived up in Upper Michigan, and you know, they would go through a white-tailed deer about every two weeks. Oh. So, you know, up then, you know, the game wardens weren't like they are today. It's like if you were out hunting to feed your family, you know, that's all they ate was venison back then. So, yeah, you know, I suppose he shot hundreds of deer, so he didn't really, hunting wasn't so big of a... It wasn't an event, it was just like grocery shopping. Yeah. You know, not the once a year thing, but anytime you needed meat, you just went out and killed a deer. Right. Wow. Um, what, so with the, <clears throat> with the camp deer, I know you said you get one doe tag. 
were you guys shooting bucks still, or was that not really... Well, no, you were still shooting bucks, but that's all you could shoot. You know, they just didn't, you know, they had... Well, I guess deer weren't quite as pop... Well, they were popular, but there weren't as many then. Okay. I know on a couple other podcasts that I listened to, they talk a lot about, back in the day, like, shooting a buck of any size was a big deal. You know, people just didn't really see a lot of bucks but it sounds like you guys were shooting more bucks and then just one doe for every four four or five people well you didn't necessarily get a deer every year like yeah (laughs) like you do today you know you a lot of times you'd go a whole season and maybe not see a deer oh okay yeah i know now the the property that we hunt in wisconsin if you don't if you don't get a shot at a deer opening weekend it seems like kind of a miserable weekend there's that many deer up there but I know last year one of the guys and one of the guys that hunted out there. How many did he shoot? Five on opening day. Ah, uh, yes. I think he shot. <laughs> I think he shot a buck and four does all on opening day, and um, there were a couple people that weren't thrilled about that. But uh, there's definitely opportunity. I remember I used to sit out in those woods and I'd see thirty or forty deer in one morning, or or like on opening day, and it wasn't that big of a deal but it seemed like when I got my start out there it we'd see deer but getting a shot at one wasn't always a guarantee yeah yeah well you have to be quiet and you know if it, well what was interesting I had some friends I used to go hunting with and uh it was like all of a sudden you'd hear bang 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 and you said good i got one coming yeah <laughs> not and, oh i hope he got it you just realized he missed it that's yeah, why he, he shot fucked up yeah well he well this this friend he had he had went 20 25 years without getting a deer oh my goodness <laughs> so it's like about half of the deer i shot hunting with them were ones he shot at and then <laughs> i was down the line so you know you knew to be ready and watch see i <laughs> I remember hearing, you know, gunshots growing up out in the woods, and I'd always get ready, but they were so far off, they just sounded loud, and so I, in my mind, there was a deer about to barrel over the hill, and very rarely did that happen, but um, with dove hunting, that happens all the time, you hear, boom, 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 getting closer and closer, and you're like, all right, it's about to fly over me, but with deer hunting, well, recently, it doesn't seem that like, like that's the case. Right. Well, it, it all depends. You're fortunate where you've hunted a lot of private property, so there weren't as many hunters. You know, there were times when I hunted more where there were other hunters. And over about a 10-minute period, you could hear about five different guys shoot. Oh, and yeah. you always knew when the deer got away because, <laughs> you know, usually if you hear one shot, you know they, uh, they probably got it. Yeah. Where you hear that bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> you know, they're just shooting wild. Well, and I know you told me this story a long time ago about, I don't know if you guys were doing a deer drive or if you were just sitting on a field edge and a deer was sprinting across the field. And it just, you just shot until you hit it. I mean. Well, this 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 time there were, there were, two, there were two deer and they were, uh, oh, I'm guessing maybe 250 yards and one thing you don't realize is I think ever since you grew up and were hunting we were hunting in areas you could use a rifle when I grew up as a kid and into maybe 25 I lived on the east side of Wisconsin which you could only use shotguns 
okay. So it's like, you know, if you haven't only hunted with shotguns, you don't know how much easier it is with a rifle. Yeah. So, that you know, this was where we could only use shotguns. So, you know, at 250 yards, that's, I mean, that's, you're lucky to hit anything that far. So these two deer were running. I hadn't gotten anything yet. So I figured, well, why not? So I'm shooting about 10 feet in front of them and about six feet high. <laughs> and I think it was the third shot. All of a sudden it looked like the deer hit a wall and did a somersault and down it went. The other one stopped and looked at it. And my brother and I were both standing there. We both unloaded, reloaded and unloaded our gun at the deer standing there and couldn't touch it. <laughs> it was just trying so to figure that, out what was going on. Right. And this was a place where you could see about a mile behind it. So, yeah. there, you know, there was nothing but big fields there. So yeah. it was just probably the luckiest shot ever. Yeah. But it's just... <laughs> <laughs> One lucky out of 20 misses. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we... Uh, it's definitely changed today, you know. If I, I think I've shot twice at a deer once in my life with my, with my gun. And that was just because Aaron and I were walking in and it jumped out on the trail right in front of us. It kind of took us by surprise. Well, he shot and then I shot and then he shot and I shot and he shot and I shot. And it was crazy because you could see in the snow where we had hit it because there was like a blood spray every time we had hit it and it wasn't very far in front of us and we followed a great blood trail all the way across the property we hunted all the way into the neighbor's property across that one into the next one and we it just dried up eventually we never did find it but I think that's the only deer I've ever shot at more than one time with a gun right well and if they're not hitting the vitals generally a lot of times that hole will plug up as it's bleeding yeah. and to where blood just won't come out and they can go a long ways, you oh, know, yeah. before they finally bleed out if they're, you know, if it's not a vital shot. Yeah. Well, and I feel like today it's a lot less, I don't know how you'd say it, maybe like it's a lot less of a Western hunt, you know, it's not just unload your gun as fast as you can. It's kind of, you take your time, place your shot where it needs to be, and then you don't have to waste all the ammo. You don't have to waste the time, and you can, you know, watch it go down without trailing it for a mile and a half. Well, and you learn, you learn a lot about what a deer does. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm thinking back to another story with your older with your oldest sister, and we're out hunting when she was she was probably thirteen or fourteen, and uh, the same friend I was talking about, you know, all of a sudden bang, 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 and you know. He's across the field about 400 yards from me, and all of a sudden he yells, Norm, he's coming your way. <laughs> you know, so my daughter and I were, or Becky and I were walking down the fence line, and sure enough, I see the deer, you know, all the way across, and and it was a nice buck, and he got up to the up to the woods and then went into the woods, you know, so I'm just standing there being quiet. I know when they get to the woods, they're generally going to jump in and stop and decide where they're going to go. Yeah. So I'm just sitting there waiting for him to stop and waiting to get a good shot at him. And uh, then your sister all of a sudden, 
Dad, there he is. <laughs> and all she had to do was say that, and his stop was like not even a second, and he, he's continuing. So that was one I would have probably dropped right there had not oh, your yeah. sister helped me. Yeah. <laughs> not realizing she wasn't helping. That's funny. Yeah, it is It is interesting, people who haven't hunted or they get surprised by a deer and all all um timidity goes out the window you know they just started <laughs> there there's one now there it is and well there it was you know it's gone immediately and i remember sitting out in the woods with josh and and even our cousins and it was the same type of thing you see a deer and it wasn't like hey hey right behind you it was grabbing your arm shaking it violently like look over there <laughs> well that does away with the opportunity pretty quick well, I remember we used to sit together all the time. We'd go sit on a dead tree in the woods and just wait in front of the 40 that we hunt. I mean, that was the hot spot. It was like you'd have multiple opportunities. But I remember I had hunted a couple years, and I hadn't killed a deer yet. And you and I were sitting on a log, and I remember telling you, like, Hey, Dad, I'm going to turn around and put my gloves on. My hands are getting cold. Let me know if you see a deer. Well, no sooner than I flip my feet over the log and I get one glove on, I hear, BOOM! And I whip around to see this deer sprinting at us. I mean, straight at us. It was probably only 10 or 15 yards away at this point. And it cut sideways in one more shot. And it took the, I mean, both the front legs gave out and it was plowing through the snow at that point. And then it tipped over, you know, 20 yards from us. And I remember turning around and looking at you, and I was so mad. I was like, I've never shot a deer. I turn around for one second, and you kill one right in front of us. But it sounds like it came in the woods quick, gave you a split-second chance. And, I mean, you put a good shot on it, and then when it was running at us, and then turned, you put another good shot in it, but... I can I can still remember I was so upset. I was like, this is my year. This is my year. All of a sudden, I turn away and you've got one down. Yeah, I, th I think that might, well, I'm not sure if that was the same year. I'm thinking it might have been is we were all sitting at that same spot later. And this would have been like on Wednesday after the opening Saturday. And I remember you saying, well, well, you, you already shot three deer here. There aren't going to be no deer oh, here yeah. anymore. And I said, well, just, you never know, you know, so it's, and then it was like about 20 minutes before closing and we're sitting there and then you were saying, well, should we just go? We're not going to see anything. I said, well, no, this is the, this is the best half hour of the day. Let's just wait. And it wasn't five minutes. And then all of a sudden we heard some crack break and brush up in front of us. And sure enough, this eight pointer steps out. And I don't know if that was your, might've been your first deer, but you, you shot it right you know right below us yeah. but it, had we given up and left those 20 you know 20 minutes early it's oh, yeah. you know or so yeah I, re I mean that was something you were always pretty good about was just like especially at the end of the day i would get impatient all the time and i'd turn to you hey do you think i should walk through the woods and see if anything's out there and i could just see it in your eyes like well, no, you shouldn't walk through the woods. You should sit still and shut up and wait for a deer to come. But you would always, well, I mean, if you want to, I guess, yeah, go ahead. 
And I would take off, and I'd never get a shot at anything walking through the woods, but I would get so antsy. And you would always, you would always want to sit and be patient and quiet. And I mean, you shot a lot of deer that way. But I think that buck that came through, I think that was my third deer. Because I remember the first deer I shot, I was sitting up in that little rinky-dink ladder stand. I mean, my feet couldn't have been eight feet off the ground. And we just leaned an old wooden ladder up against the tree. I had made the stand out of two-by-fours and plywood scraps that I found in the garage. And we just strapped it to a tree or maybe... We, well, we wouldn't have screwed it to the tree because at that point, I don't think we had any battery-powered tools. But I think we strapped it to the tree, and I sat up there. I had a shot at a at a buck that came through, and I pulled up, shot at it. In my mind, you know, it was a world record deer, but it was probably like a six-point. But it was my first buck to shoot at. And it took off. I got down, looked for looked for a sign that I had hit it, looked for blood. And on my way um, back from looking for blood after I realized there was no gunshot, I saw this twig about an inch in diameter just snapped and hanging right in the path of where I shot. And at that point, I realized I clipped a branch. And I remember sitting up in the sand, and I was so mad. I was, like, whistling and singing, taking a pee off the tree stand. At this point, I was like, I've got 30 minutes left. It doesn't even matter. I'm not going to see another deer. And all of a sudden, I look in front of me, and at eight yards, there's a deer. And the sun's going down, so it's hard to see. You know, in the woods, it would always get way darker quicker. And I'm watching it, and it goes behind this tree, and I'm sitting there waiting for it to come out. And I'm thinking, like, where it just disappeared. Well, it was so dark that I didn't realize it had already popped out and was now at five yards right down to my right and I pulled up and shot and as soon as I shot I see about eight white tails bouncing away and it was that dark that I only saw the one deer come in and you and mom came up at that point and you're like did you get did you get one yeah I did where'd it go I'm like it's dead where and I said right there and you guys turn your flashlights to the left, and about five feet from you was this tiny little doe that, even at that point, at 13 or 14, I could have probably thrown it on my shoulders and carried it out. But I was so happy, so excited. And then I think it was the next year when I shot that buck and a doe, and those were two of the more memorable hunts that I had because, I mean, we, we were sitting down on the bottom at the front of the 40, and the doe was the first one I shot and remember it walked down the trail from where the double ladder stand is now. It was walking down the trail and I pulled up and I think that day I was using mom's pump 308. I pull up and I shoot it and it drops right where I shot and we walked over to it and I saw that its eyes were closed and I, I remember saying dad it's not dead and you were like, no, it's dead. You dropped it in its tracks. I said, no, it's not dead. The eyes are closed. And so you go and you just kind of like kick it with your foot a little bit. And it started flailing and <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. And before I could even react, you had a knife out of your sheath and in the deer's neck. Do you remember this? 
va vaguely. I probably just said, oh, no sense leaving it suffer. And well, you, I mean, in my mind, it was in like a half a second. It was like the fastest reaction. And I remember looking at you like, my dad's a stone cold killer. Like, I'm never going to mess with this guy. <laughs> it was, I mean, it couldn't have been, yeah, more than a second or two. And you had, you had your knife out and the deer was done. But that happened, and then the buck came through, I think, later that day. But yeah, the front of the woods, that was always the best spot for years and years. Yeah. And we pulled a lot of deer out. I mean, I can remember there was probably a 10-year stretch where almost every tag was filled on opening weekend. And we'd be, I mean, it seemed like all throughout the day, you'd sit for an hour, somebody would shoot a deer, you'd help them gut it and drag it out, go sit down, another person would. And it just happened over and over like that. Well, I, you know, I found over the years, if you're patient and you just sit still, you know, usually it seemed like every year after everybody chose where they wanted to sit, you know, I'd pick a spot I thought might be good that was left. Yeah. But, you know, if you're patient and you're watching, you, you know, you generally get your opportunity. The only, you know, the only question is, are you going to be sitting there when your opportunity comes? You know, are, or are you going to be in a different stand thinking that one's going to be better than where you're just sitting? Yep. And uh, I don't know how many times when you feel like giving up, just that extra half an hour and your opportunity came. Yeah. It just, you know, and when you're talking about peeing from the stand or whatever, it's like if you, if you want to see a deer, just stand up and set your gun down, stand up and pee, and you'll see what. Yeah. <laughs> it seems really. like I don't know how many times, you know, when you can't hold it, you know, then all of a sudden they're, they just happen to come at that right time. Yeah. We always joke about that with duck hunting. If we don't mm -hmm. see a deer for a while, we, it's like, hey, somebody get up and go pee, and the ducks will come in. And we'll just be hanging out and you never want to be the one to get up and go pee because it seems like if you are, if your gun's down and your waders are down and, you know, you're preoccupied, all of a sudden they're shooting right behind you. But, but yeah, so we, I mean, speaking of duck hunting, you and I, we went out duck hunting a few times. That wasn't our biggest thing that we would hunt by any means. I know like Sam and Mark, they really got into it. And then there was a couple guys from church that kind of, they got us into it, um, but I remember being out on the Mississippi hunting, and that was a lot of fun. I feel like that was, I don't know, looking back, I, I remember that, and I remember that being one of the more fun hunts that we would do together. Right, and, uh, you know, I really never duck hunted much because I just didn't, I guess I didn't like it as much, but then when you and Josh wanted to duck hunt, that's when we got into duck hunting, and and even now, you know, Canyon's only four years old, so, but, you know, I can think, you know, thinking, thinking back, it's just enjoyable, it's just as enjoyable being with your kids when they shoot something as you shooting it. Yeah. And, you know, that's something you, you know, probably in another 10 years you'll discover. And even now I find being out in the woods, you know, the last few years that I did bow hunt, I found a lot of years I wouldn't even shoot unless it was something big because yeah. it was just in, just as enjoyable out watching them as, as it was actually shooting something. Yeah. Yeah, I always liked sitting with you and just the camaraderie of hunting and the fellowship that comes with hunting and fishing and a lot of outdoor sports. Um, 
that to me is what makes it. Yes. You know, shooting, pulling the trigger is fun, but that lasts a second, you know. And just enjoying the beauty of God's creation, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, I think where it says, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows his, his handiwork. And it's, uh, you know, that he can clearly be seen by the things he has made. Oh, absolutely. Is that, you know, it's just such a precious time just being out in, you know, and there again, that goes back to it doesn't really matter if you shoot something. You can just enjoy being out there and enjoying God's creation that he made. Oh, yeah. I mean, we would do that. We'd just go out and fish. I mean, I remember fishing with you all the time up on Lake Wissota and, you know, there were days where we wouldn't catch much, but there was just something about being out there and hearing the loons or, you know, you see mm -hmm. fish or ducks drop in or geese and it was just a good time. And then we took, we took a bunch of trips up to Canada. I remember for a while we were going almost every year up to Canada fishing um, whether it be just staying in a cheap motel or actually going up to the, to the Christian outdoorsman cabin. Where was that? I've had a couple people ask. I tell, I tell people about those trips all the time. Yeah. The, the, that was up North of Thunder Bay, a couple of hours into Canada, but, uh, the road you took into the lake, it was Lake Ontario and Lake Willette. You had, could get onto either lake okay. from there, but that last, 70 miles took you about five hours yeah because you had to bring a chainsaw with and because you might have a tree down over there wasn't even really a road there it was a path yeah it was like an that old you logging knew where trail that like, was right. and uh you had to have a four-wheel drive and you, you'd rarely see another person on either lake because uh you know a fly-in outfit isn't going to fly somebody in where that you've got a couple cars parked yeah but none of the locals would go there because it was too hard to get to. And it just so happened this the, the man that was the president of the Christian Outdoors men, he owned property right on those two lakes and had built a nice log cabin there that was, uh, we brought our, you know, you brought propane tanks up to run the fridge and everything off of propane. Okay. So, that, and, you know, that was, you know, very enjoyable very inexpensive trip you brought all your own food and everything and you know the total of the whole trip with gas and food and everything was 125 a person that's so cool well and i remember being up there and we would catch so many fish like i didn't realize that that fishing could be that great you know we would go and we'd be meeting another another father and son for lunch and you'd be like hey let's just troll along this this point for 30 minutes before we meet them and it was like every time you drop your line in the water we, we'd just be trolling and jigging and we'd be pulling in walleye after walleye or you know you'd get a nice pike here and there I remember one time you caught a pike and and I just started reeling mine in really fast because I was going to help you and get you know I always thought oh I got to get the net it's my job to get the net and I'm reeling in and you go hey slow down just keep fishing I'll get this fish and sure enough, it was a couple, couple seconds after you said that. Boom! I had one on the line. I think at that, I think that was probably our best like two at one combination. I think we both caught like thirty six or thirty nine inches, and uh, mm -hmm. we pulled them in. And then I remember another time. This was I thought you were gonna throw me in the water. We were we were 
Probably when you didn't get the net in the board fast enough. <laughs> yeah, you well, you had that muskie on the line, and from everything we could tell, it was about as long as the boat was wide. And I got that net underneath it, and I remember just standing there. I mean, I was in shock. I couldn't even move. I was looking at how huge this fish was, and you were lifting your line up, and I was supposed to be lifting the net up into the boat also, and the line snapped, and that fish went right through the bottom of the net, broke clean through, and you just, what What in the world are you doing? Get the, get the net in the boat! And I was just, I thought my trip was over at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I, I, I was just kind of chuckling a little thinking about that, because I had just started saying, get the net in the boat, you yeah. know, because it's kind of like, come on, I can't hold this thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, sure enough, as soon as the get the, you know, down the fish went and through the net and that and, was uh, that was probably the biggest fish I've ever seen in person. Yeah, I the mean, net the net least you learned you don't waste your time get that yeah. get that thing in. Oh, the boat. I learned quick. I got an earful. I think the rest of the day and every time we met up with someone else, he told them about how I messed up and that reminds me of another time. You know, this would have been maybe five years ago. I was up in Canada with a church, group from church and. And I caught this nice, uh, I think it was a 40 or 41 inch northern. And we had it in a live well and it, you know, I had thought it had died. You know, it was sitting there, what you just, you know, refer to as belly up in the live well not moving. So I reached down and grabbed it by the gill, lifted it out and, you know, just dead weight hanging there. Stepped from the boat onto the dock, and there was about a one foot gap of water. And when that fish went over that water, it made a big flip. Its tail come up over its head, and slipped right off of my hand oh, and no. into the water. Oh no! And talk about your heart sinking. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and gosh. into the water it went. And my friend Jeff was there. I just said, Jeff. Get up or do something. <laughs> grab, I think I said grab the net, try and net them. You know, and you know, fortunately, God bless me with I think I got another one that same size the next day, and you could yeah. only keep one anyway. Oh, so, okay. you know, of that size. So, yeah. But you learn, don't ever think they're dead. They can be playing, you know, playing possum on you. Oh yeah. So the, when when you guys would go up because you went up to that cabin in Canada a lot more than I did. But I remember like when we went up, we saw moose and there had been wolf encounters and bear encounters up there. But I remember hearing a story and I need to hear it from you again because it was years ago. But I heard a story and maybe it was just a rumor about a guy riding on a moose's back in the water. Do you remember this? Yeah, that's... uh... Well, according to the guy, is that he was up on the boundary waters, and he had just said there was some moose crossing the crossing the lake, and that when they're crossing the lake, they can't do anything. So he thought he'd get a picture of him on his, you know, so he grabbed onto the moose or whatever, just to, you know, and that, you know, basically that's what he said is, uh, if you ever get a chance to ride a moose. <laughs> It's when it's, it's in an, it's when it's swimming in the water. So you know, I don't know if that was just a story or if I guess a guy actually could. But yeah, I I'd, guess be, I'd be worried it'd whip its head back and catch you with its horns or something. Yeah, I guess at this point, you know, with YouTube, if somebody's done it, it's probably online. 
Right. So maybe we'll look that up after the podcast. But this this would have probably been, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago oh, yeah. before. Well, yeah, it would have to be even longer than that because, I mean, I've been out of the house for 14 years now. It was pro- maybe the, maybe the it year. It probably you, been 10 years before yeah, that. So it might have been the year you went up there is when we heard it. Oh, okay. With the, I don't even remember the man's name, but he was from Lacrosse. I think it was him and his dad came up, if I remember right. Well, yeah, we, uh, I remember all the crazy stories. I know that you and mom fished up there one time and she pulled in a, a pike that had teeth marks on the side of it where a muskie had bit it. And it was like a 32 inch Northern that you guys reeled in, but it was, there was a fish that was so big that it was about to try to eat that whole, that whole Northern. Right. And I think she still has a picture of the teeth marks in the side of that. And I'm not sure if that's the same one or not, but I remember I remember somebody up there reeling a fish in, and we looked, and it was just this huge, you know, looked like 40 inches at least. And we get it up there, and, you know, I think it I went down to net it or whatever. And when we netted it and pulled it in, it was like 18 or 20 inches long, and here it was a big one, was a hold of the one that was hooked. Oh, man. And, and as soon as the net come down, it let go. Yeah. You know, but Jeez. you know when when the per when she or whoever it was was real and the fish in, you know, of course, all you see is this huge one. And you think that's what yeah, you that's what on. you're dre- reeling in, and you, then you realize it was just a small one that a big one was, you know, might have even had you know halfway swallowed. Gosh, that's so crazy. I need you to tell the uh, one of my favorite stories, and I wasn't up there for this, but I think it happened the year before you and I went up. Is Roger? going to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, and someone scared him or what? Yeah. yeah. Well, they had the old outhouses up there. Yeah, because there's no running water. Right. So then it's dark, and then we kept, you know, of course, you always, you know, everybody's telling stories of the bears and that around, so I forget who it was. One of the guys thought it would be funny to, uh, you know, scare whoever comes out of the, and I think it was Roger was coming out of the outhouse. You know, and then they were laying there in the dark, you know, and then, you know, jump up and growl at them. And, and I don't remember what, exactly what the story was, but that, See, I think the, that he didn't finish going, or he finished going yeah. after he got out of the outhouse. <laughs> well, that's, see, I think the way that I first heard it was that he was on his way to the outhouse and everybody, he was kind of on a routine oh, where maybe it was like so, every night oh. he would go about the same time. And so one of the guys snuck out and hid, and as he was on his way, they jumped out and scared him while he didn't need the outhouse after mm-hmm. that, you know. Or it might have even been the guy hid in the outhouse. Yeah, yeah, I think that could have been it. But what the the one time that we went up there, we were on our way, and there was a group of guys coming back that had just finished um, fishing up there. And they were like, hey, did you guys bring your own water jugs because you're going to need them? And... They told us that the the bears had got on the deck, and they were basically just playing around with the water jugs, chewing on them and batting them around, and so they all had holes in them. So luckily we had water, but we would walk, what was that, probably a quarter mile over to the spring, and we'd have to fill up the water jugs and bring them back for any water for... You know, yeah, it's probably a hundred, hundred or hundred and two hundred yards. But, oh, okay. But when you're car- when you're carrying a five gallon jug, of, you know. Water, it seems probably a lot further than it oh, is. Yeah. 
but it was such nice, clear, cold, I mean, ice cold water right out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going with you and filling it up. And it would be interesting to go back up there now, being older, because, you know, when you're a kid, everything is just huge. It just seems giant. The trip seemed longer. The cabin seemed like it was 5,000 square feet. And yeah, I think, I think it'd be really fun to go back up there and plan a trip and get some guys to go up there. But we wa we saw all kinds of stuff when we were up there. We saw moose out in the water eating, eating plants. I remember one year our friends Ron and Luke came with and I bought, I got you to buy me a slingshot and you were like, all right, here you go. You get 20 bucks to spend for the week. You know, there was no stores aside from our trip up there and our trip back. Well, I found one of those wrist rockets, you know, the real high powered slingshots that you could shoot steel BBs out of. And I would, the seagulls would come in and they'd pick up all the remains of the fish after you'd gutted them. And so we, we'd try to shoot the seagulls as they're dropping in after, after the fish guts. And I remember Luke pulled this slingshot back and he pulled it back so far he was past his head and he let that thing go and it caught him in the ear and his whole cheek, all, like from the behind his ear all the way up almost to his eye, was bright red and he bawled for an hour and a half. And I remember his dad got kind of upset and was like, why would these kids have a slingshot like this? <laughs> and it's like, well, nobody else hurt themselves. He just didn't know how to shoot a slingshot. Yeah, and while talking about the same trip, do you remember with Luke? Remember <laughs> remember the, the older guy, Skip? Oh, yeah. Remember? And you talked Luke and the uh, moon in him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's Luke, he moves Skip. <laughs> or I think you said, hey, Skip, there's a full moon. <laughs> yeah. And also we hear this big crack. <laughs> <laughs> and and Skip says that's how you crack the moon. <laughs> I, I remember that was the funniest thing when we were kids was mooning people. I don't know why it was so cool just to show your butt. Well, now I'm getting getting it back because Canyon. Anytime he's, I'm like, hey, go in the room and change, and then he'll walk out and he'll be. Dad, I'm naked. I'm naked, and then he'll point his butt at me. I'm like, "Hey, cut that out." <laughs> There's something about it when you're a guy, yeah. you just think it's funny. And then I remember later that same trip you were trying to tell Luke <laughs> to moonscape. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. No, I don't know that Luke. Luke probably never mooned another person after that. No. Yeah, he learned his lesson pretty quick. Well, yeah, we. Uh, there's definitely some good stories of getting out and hunting and hopefully I know you're talking about possibly moving down here but it'd be fun to get out and hunt again I know we've got a lot of good property around here that that we could go out and hopefully shoot a couple deer um and if not that getting out fishing mm -hmm. I mean, yeah it'd be fun fishing and floating I remember that's another good story oh yeah uh -huh. I remember floating the buffalo river yep and we had three grown men. I mean, I think at that point I was probably about 200 pounds. And then you and Brad, you guys were both. We probably had 600, 650 pounds 
in that one little Well, canoe. the mistake was when you decided you wanted to be in back instead of in front. Oh, yeah. Well, I just don't. I've always been in the back, and I don't uh-huh. like being up front. You know, like I like to steer and do all that. And you shouldn't have the heaviest guy No, the heaviest front. guy does not belong in the front of the canoe, that's for sure. Well, we went down the rapids, and right at the end of the rapid, there was one big boulder underneath that you couldn't see on the left. And then there was another one on the right about five feet further and so we hit the one and we rocked well then we hit the other one and it started to tip and you basically said i'm out of here like i'm not gonna get flipped i'll jump out first well when you jump out that means everybody's out and you jumped out we all flipped over our stuff's floating down the river and of course we look over to the right and here's some outdoor photographer (laughs) taking pictures of floaters and animals and he got a perfect shot of us floating chasing after all our gear down the river but we'll have to if you do come down or even if you visit this summer we'll have to get out and do some more well you'll find that as you get older (laughs) your thoughts change a little about okay what's the safest way to you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're worried about getting hurt or drowned and instead of so, yeah, you know, one, just once you wet. thought it was lost, it's like you're looking for your safe, safest escape <laughs> possible. And here, I'm just trying to not flip, but <laughs> when, when a guy your size bails out of the front of a canoe, I have no choice at that point. But yeah, we, uh, I know you mentioned earlier this week you were talking about possibly getting a boat again. You're thinking about getting one and... Yeah, it'd be nice to find, you know, find a... One you can afford, and yeah, that way you can get out and do some more, more fishing this summer. I know it's probably going to be kicking off here in a couple, couple weeks or a month, month and a half, up in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's um, always I think this first Saturday of May, I believe. Oh, okay. So yeah, a little over a month, um, but that'll be good. I look forward to coming up and doing some more fishing. It's been a long time since I've been out walleye or northern fishing, and I think that'd be good to go back to some of the old fishing holes and see what we can catch. But we'll wrap this up. Thanks for being on the podcast today and for all the stories. You're welcome. It's uh, good remembering. And again, just great to be out there enjoying God's great creation and just how blessed we are to live in a country where you can enjoy all these things. Oh, yeah. I mean, the public land that we have here, the ability to get out and, and do that stuff without, you know getting charged fees or we we put money towards it every time we buy a license or buy a gun or ammo you know there's there's funds from that that goes or taxes from that that go straight towards our public lands and so it's cool to be able to do all that stuff and yeah like you said just being out in god's creation is always a good time i know i heard a guy once say i'd rather be out fishing thinking about god than be in church thinking about fishing and yeah. <laughs> Or or a better one, a better one too. Or same thing as a bad day fishing is better than a good day working. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's there's something about being outside, being out in creation. So for you guys listening, uh, get out, do something new, go adventure. And um, until next time, we'll see you later. 
All right, guys, thanks for listening. I hope you all enjoyed that episode with my dad. I definitely enjoyed sitting down, talking with him, and recapping some of our favorite adventures out in the woods, out on the lakes. And I look forward to a lot more uh, trips with him, a lot more stories to come. But for now, I'm getting ready for turkey season. We've got turkey season coming up here in just a couple weeks. Some of you may be in the full swing of things, and hopefully you found early success with that. I know my buddy Drew has already got a bird down, down in Georgia, and so I'll be chatting with him about that in the coming weeks, but I'm actually hoping to get a new shotgun coming up here soon that I can use for turkey season, so if any of you guys have any suggestions or recommendations for that, please send them my way. I'm definitely open to new ideas when it comes to shotgun hunting for turkeys. So until next time, always choose adventure, God bless, and we'll see you later.